0: On today's show, I'm chatting with Shaney Nottingham, a working artist I met on, would you believe it, Instagram. We've also met in real life at a creative workshop in Sydney in the days before COVID, obviously. Now, her art and her story absolutely fascinated me. And I, when I met her, I swore to myself, I'm going to have you on my podcast one day. And of course, it took years to get that going. And I'm so, so thrilled to share her story with you and with us to encourage us to, especially us creatives, to get out there and find our wow and live it, live that truth of our wow. And what a story. We cover bullying, depression, the fizzy jitters. You're going to have to listen to find out about that. Adult ADHD, the frustrations and beauty of living in the country and even plastic bread tags. Shaney is an artist of many talents. She works with paint, print, collage and photography. My favorite. She believes her mission is to make joyful beauty and loveliness to make your heart sing. Yeah, look, go it! look at her art. Definitely makes your heart sing. Shaney shows her work through exhibitions and her very successful social media channels, as well as hosting creative workshops and fulfilling commission pieces. Her clients range from small startup businesses to large companies, councils, government departments, big brands, homeware retailers, authors, magazines, charities, and other creatives. As well as all this, and we get to talk about it in this show, she works on her very personal endeavour, the Bread Tag Project. Welcome to the show, Shaney. Thank you. It's lovely to be here finally. <laughs> we have been wanting to do this for so long and we're talking about uh the just beforehand how there's always a right moment for things so i'm expecting some really good (laughs) really good chats through this i've just finished a big bowl of pasta so it's all good (laughs) (laughs) and i need to tell the listeners that we met can you remember where we met we met online originally
1: and then we met at akara rosenland Exactly. Yes. Yes.
0: Well, welcome to the show. And I'm so glad you're finally here. And we met, yes, we met online through Instagram. And this is the power yep. of connection. You know, it, it's our, our, our brains are, are changed forever. Our thinking's changed about how we can make that connection, didn't we? We connected creatively and then we met in person at a Carl Rosalind workshop, wasn't it? That was a fun day. That was a really I fun day. I made her cry.
1: That's what I remember. I asked her I a question don't remember that. <laughs> that made her cry and I felt good,
0: terrible. Good cry? I can't yeah. remember
1: that. Oh, I asked her. She'd, she was talking about how her business had progressed, her story, her journey, because I think that's one of the things we all are interested in is how people get to a certain point um, in their journey, What 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 is the catalyst for it. And she sort of briefly went over things and she said that she'd you know had a breakup and she'd it had spurned her on to doing something else and I wanted to dig a little deeper and I asked her a question about it and she started crying and I felt terrible and then afterwards I went up to her and apologized and said I'm so sorry and she said no like I'm really glad you asked that question it made me think about things a little bit more and and actually I'm fine. It was great. It was really, it was fine. It's all good. And then she confessed that her mum had almost called her Shaney um, and changed her name to Kara at the oh. last moment. Um, so we had like this little connection um, and um, it was lovely. And we we're actually. We're still in touch like she actually messaged me something not long ago and i messaged her back and sort of tentatively said i don't know if you remember me and she was like of course i remember you every time i see a bread tag i think of you um so that's kind of nice um but yeah it was a really great day i remember that day really really well i still have the photos of that in a special file on my computer and you're in that file as well.
0: Oh,
1: So tell us, Shaney, what is it that you do? Who are you? Oh, wow. That's a really loaded question. So if you look at it just um, uh, briefly, if you look at it in the tagline, I'm a 50-year-old woman, turned 50 this year, very proud to have been become the half century, um, who lives in Central West, New South Wales, um, mother of three, wife of a man I've been with since we were 19 happily married white picket fence etc 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 so that's sort of like if you're looking at the census that's that's who I am Um, underneath that I'm a working artist and educator so I've got two degrees I've got a visual arts degree which I majored in photography and illustration and I have a teaching degree so I balance both those skill sets so I work one day a week at a very small school um, as an educator with children primary infants children tend to become the art specialist um, but I teach lots of things with them and it's great it gets me out of the house it gets me talking to people it means I have to um, you know um, engage in the community which is fantastic um, and then the rest of the time I'm at home in my studio, Creating and making and doing all the other stuff that comes with having an art business. So, I have a small art business, but I have where I do commissions and things, but I also have my own personal art journey that goes on as well. So, I manage all those things um, in a setting, of course, where I'm a mother and wife as well. Um, and um, I'm very, very, very busy and very tired um, a lot of the time but time management is not my greatest strength. So that could possibly be on me. I tend to say yes to a lot of things because I like not knowing what could come next. And I like the way it pushes me and um, makes me have to think, really think. So when I'm going to bed at night and I'm, I should be sleeping, my brain's often just whirring over, you know, like the spinning wheel of death I always say my brain's a bit like one of those spinning wheels of death on my computer where there's too much being processed all at once Um, but I have ideas constantly so I'll be trying to go to sleep and I'll be thinking about different projects and different art ideas and different things that I'd like to try and do Um, and that happens every time I take sort of take on a new a new venture kind of thing. And I like that feeling. I like the fizzy feeling that you get when you try something new. Um, so I, I, I'm hesitant to call myself an artist as such or an illustrator as such. So I tend to say that I'm a, I'm a creative because I do write and stuff as well. So yeah, I think some people find it very hard, um, to not be pigeonholed. Mm. Um, They like to be able to put you in a pigeonhole and say, oh, you're a writer, oh, you're an artist, oh, you do this. Um, I can't even put myself in a pigeonhole, so I can understand why it might be confusing for uh, other people, but I really don't think I ever want to be pigeonholed. I think for me personally, if I stayed doing the same thing all the time, I'd be incredibly bored and i just wouldn't get that Im- imagination, that spark that happens when mm. I have a new idea and I go off and follow it. So mm. this week you ask me what what I'm doing. If you say this week, you know, what are you doing? I'll say I'm doing this. Next week it'll be something completely different. It changes mm. all the time. And then I've got a big bread tag sculpture that I'm working on let's, as well. Let's hold off on talking about that one. <laughs> um, so when you ask about what what I'm doing and what I do, it, it really does change from week to week. Mm, it depends mm. on on what comes in. Um, I am learning to say no to things as well, which I've realised is just as important as saying yes to things. Because I have to think, okay, is is this is this resonating with my heart? Is this taking me in a direction that I want to go in? Am I chasing? Am I chasing dollars? Am I chasing? Um, what 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 is success what does success look like like what is happiness what is mm. what is being happy in what i'm doing is it earning do you money? have yeah do you have a kind of
0: clear i guess filter or gate that you put those decisions through is it inspiration it depends on how tired is it...
1: i am <laughs> <laughs> um i, I i'm Because I've been doing this a fair while now trying to live a creative life I've become a lot better at realizing what will detract and what will add to my journey and where I need to be and what I need to follow so um, I might be asked to do a mural for someone and I might end up saying no to that because it's going to take me off the path that I'm I'm on at that particular time, I might be asked to do a commission for someone but I, my heart's not, um, I'm not really in tune with the product maybe and mm-hmm. so I'll say, I, I've learnt to say no to that. Um, I've been asked to be an ambassador for a couple of brands and they've, you know, they've um, hunted me down and said, you know, we'd like you to work with us, we'd like you to pay to produce content for us. But when I've looked at what they've wanted me to do, um, I've just gone. That's that's not my style. That's not my. It's not my. It's not my gig. It's not my thing. Um, so even though it was worth a lot of money, I said no to it because I was aware that it would impact on not only my time and energy, but it wasn't what I wanted to put out there in the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Say that this is what I'm happy to do. So I felt that it would be um, counterintuitive to wear my brand, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it wasn't worth the money. So I do have a filter and often it's just that feeling in your heart or your, your, your tummy, um, your head and my husband <laughs> would be saying, but it's good money, you know, like, you, you know, be, this is a great opportunity. But if you have that sort of niggling feeling in the tummy or I do, that feeling that it just doesn't sit well, then I know that mm, I wouldn't produce mm. my best work for it anyway. So I've learned to say no. I've learned to learn the fizzy jitters as opposed to the this-doesn't-sit-right jitters. And um, at the beginning of being a creative and doing all of that, I wasn't as good at filtering that through. I kind of... It was all so new and so exciting and I, it's that feeling of I better say yes because I don't know if anyone will ever ask me to do anything again. So said <laughs> yes to lots of things and mm. learnt lots of ways, learnt yeah. heaps, but also learnt that, yeah, you can say no to some things without there being mm. the world ending. It, it's not a crisis. So mm. maybe that's age as well. I, I, I'm not sure. Maybe I've become more... Um, uh, grumpy maybe i'm pickier about things but time seems more valuable and um i think we're flooded now with visual images we're flooded with visual information we're flooded with opportunities there's always something i'm sure you're the same there's always something in your feed or your gallery saying you know do this you should do this you know do this and then this means you'll do this better or can you do this? We'd love you to do this, especially for no money, but it'll be great exposure. Um, Mm -hmm. And you just after a while settle down and go, okay, I can't possibly achieve all these things. I don't want to achieve all these things. Let's have a look at what my core reason for doing this is. So as long as I'm making money, some money to keep going, It's important to me that I also set aside some of the time that I have just to play and do my creative pursuits for myself. And Mm. if I don't do that, I've found that then everything else suffers. Mm. So, um, yeah.
0: When did you know or was was it a slow realisation? When did you know that this is what you wanted to
1: do to vote your life to? How young were you? Oh that's a really interesting question. Well, I've I've always been arty-farty and done um, lots of painting and drawing. And even when I was like little as in like year 4, year 3, I'd win painting competitions. Um I, I remember I won a competition, I think in fifth class when one of my artworks was sent to Japan for an exhibition and I got back a little certificate and a badge. And I remember how good that made me feel. Mm -hmm. And then I think maybe because of that, I was sent away to um, a gifted and talented children's camp um, on the Hawkesbury River. It was called Little Wobby, Little Wobby Recreation Centre. And we were all arty-farty kids that got, there was people who were good at music, people who were good at writing and people who were good at art. There was like three different groups. And I remember being selected for that. And that made me feel, wow, maybe maybe I can do this. Maybe I'm good at art. Maybe I am good at drawing or painting or whatever it was. Um, and that's when it started to become part of my self-identity, part of the way I saw myself was mm-hmm. was it was tied into being arty-farty. Um, I think that's just the expression my family used. <laughs> I just keep saying arty-farty. But mm-hmm. uh, I've leaning that way and then... Um, I did well in every other subject too at school, maybe not maths as much, but I, I did well at other subjects too. So it wasn't that I just did well at art, but as we got into mm-hmm. high school, um, I did well at art, I suppose. And so it's that thing where they when you do well at something, it. you want to keep doing more of it. So I mm-hmm. started, you know, I, I just got lots of positive feedback and validation, I suppose, from it. But I like the way it made me feel too. Like I, we get hyper-focused and just focus on drawing or painting and it was like meditation i suppose without realizing it you know at that age Mm -hmm. it was just like a form of meditation so it helped me through all those turbulent times that you have as a teenager art was my you know i sound very cliche but art and music like listening to music and drawing and painting were my salvation sort of thing through all of that time straight from school i went and did a visual arts degree at newcastle uni and um I never questioned that I would do that. I really didn't think of any other option. It was always just going to be doing art. And then really what happened is I actually ended up putting most of my energies into a boy <laughs> when I got to uni, which sidetracked me from concentrating on art. I got a um, a um, degree in Jason Nottingham who ended up becoming my husband. So, <laughs> I know I I have the ball there for a while and I, I actually failed one year at uni, the the um practical side of it, because I never went to lessons or, or tutes because my days off were he day his days on. And I didn't appreciate at the time how lucky I was to be at uni, what an opportunity it was because I went straight from year twelve straight to straight to uni. I was seventeen when I started uni. And um yeah, I just uh for a while they he got distracted by this dashing Englishman and um but as I say it turned out okay we've now been together for a long time and have three children together and stuff so maybe I did know what I was doing but um so I got my degree and then we saved up money for a couple of years and then went and lived over in the UK and Asia for a while came back and we um he he's a teacher and he got a posting out here to central west New South Wales And at that point, there was the internet was only new. um, And I was thinking, Oh, what am I going to do? And out here, I don't know what am I, what am I going to do? How am I going to earn money? Who am I? Three months ago, I was in Venice. And now I'm in this tiny little place in the middle of nowhere sort of thing. And it was a real identity crisis. Um, So I had a room in the house, and I did lots of drawing and painting that year. And then but as I say, this was pre-internet, so it was um, it was there was no way I could make money from it, and I had a bit of a panic attack and went, "Oh my God, I need to earn money." So I ended up doing a teaching degree by distance education after years of saying that I would never ever be a teacher because my parents were both teachers <laughs> and it was expected of me. I'd said no, I was really stubborn about it. Um, so I was accepted into uni and I started my first essay the same month that my first child was born. So I made things very wow. difficult for me. Yeah. I don't know what I was thinking. I wasn't thinking. I I remember I, I sent in one of my first assignments was about how people learn and I took a photograph of him as a newborn baby with an L plate on him. Um, <laughs> and... <so that laughs> And then one of me, and and submitted them side by side, and said we're both learners. I got a distinction in that one. I think maybe just for the cute photo, but um, so I I really had to concentrate on um, my family and my uni degree for quite a few years there. So yeah, I was breeding and doing uni, and I sort of turned my creative my creativeness into making a nice house and having a nice garden and doing painting with my kids so I sort of really did that thing that you push down your own, mm-hmm. own thing for a long time um, and then what and happened I was happy.
0: how did you waken it up again was there a moment or a turning point or
1: yeah it was a very big turning point so I I'd, as the kids got a little bit older I started submitting things to art galleries and, and things again, just very tentatively, you know, trying to keep my finger in. And I, I did well when I did that. So that was always encouraging. I, I always placed or, you know, sold things and stuff. So I, I knew that there was something still there and I was continuing to put, you know, buy lots of art and, and things. Um, so I was still there. Um, but I started teaching. And unfortunately, I mean, that was fine. I taught for like um, never full time because of having to look after children and stuff too, but I, I taught enough. And then I had a, a really difficult thing happen with that school that I was attached to. Um, I had a bullying thing that with um, one of the other people I worked with, the the principal actually ended up bullying me quite uh in a long drawn out way and as part of that I had to leave the school um I said I can't go back there was one day when I was due to go back there after a two weeks break I had a massive panic attack and a huge migraine where I was vomiting from the stress of it and my husband happened to be home that day I can't remember why but he wasn't at school he was because he's a deputy principal Um, he was at home and he was like, what is going on? What is is this? And I said, I just can't go back there. And he knew I was having trouble problems, but I kind of hadn't wanted to acknowledge how bad the bullying was because it made it real. So he saw me and said, this, this can't continue. This is insane. You know, no money's worth this. And it ended up with me putting in an official complaint. And then that started the whole ball rolling about, Um, work cover and and all sorts of messy stuff to do with what you have to do if you report bullying. And and it's talked about more now, which is good. But I thought once I reported it, that would be the end of the bullying and I'd be free of it. But actually, it was just the start of it. And it it felt like bullying itself, like again, with the process that I had to go through where I was having to write things and talk to lots of people and I had to validate my claims and et cetera, et cetera. And it was extremely traumatic, really, really traumatic. And I I suppose I had a, I'd say I had a breakdown really. Anyways, when all of that happened, I was having to see psychiatrists and things and um, as well as the GP. And Jason is extremely supportive. He's a, a great husband and I'm very lucky that he's been through We've been together since we are 19, so he's been on this whole journey with me. And we are at the doctor's one day and the GP said to him, Jason, what is it that you'd like to see happen with Shaney? And he said, I just want to see her happy again. I want to see her the way she used to be. And the doctor laughed and said, so how, what do you think that will be like, you know? Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, you know, back to teaching. And <laughs> the doctor laughed again and he said, Jason, 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 and he shook his head and he put his hand on Jason's knee and he said, "Shani's never going to be happy just being a teacher. She's an artist. Mm. She needs to do mm. art. She needs to create. Mm. And it was a huge moment. It was huge. And as soon as the doctor said it, I balled my eyes out. And Jason just went, Oh shit. <laughs> I think we we both known it, but hadn't I'd known it, but I hadn't been able to put it into words before. Mm. Um And what the doctor did that day is he gave me permission Mm. to let go of, Mm. and I shouldn't say just being a teacher. Teachers are awesome. But for me personally, um, he made it okay for me to let go of saying I'm just a teacher who Mm. happens to dabble in art on the side. And it meant that I didn't have to have that conversation with Jason at some point. It was being laid out on the table for him. That's powerful. Um, It was really powerful, really, really powerful. And it was such a, um, not many of us have moments where we go, that's where something happened, Mm -hmm. but that's definitely where that moment happened. And I kind of sat and absorbed that for a little while and thought, okay, so what point, how am I going to make this happen? How do we make this happen? I'm actually getting to the shakes talking about it. Like it's... um, I can feel that. It's it's so true because there are... uh,
0: You know, I think we're all born creatives, but some of us are more in tune with it, and we would call ourselves creative. But how many of us are not knowing even that we're waiting permission to do what our souls were born to do?
1: Yeah, Oh, I'm actually tearing up thinking about it. Um, It was such a yeah. I wonder. We were talking earlier before we started recording about about um, journeys and things and. Now, mm-hmm. as horrible as the bullying stuff happened, I'm out, now out actually very, very grateful mm-hmm. for it mm-hmm. because it pushed me, it pushed me into a sphere where I had to had to deal with things that I might not have dealt with, and it pushed me into that whole beginning that journey that mm-hmm. I'm sure would have happened, but probably a lot later. So after after that, um, so by then Instagram and Uh, facebook and stuff had started to become um you know more popular it still wasn't as big as it is today of course and a friend of mine had asked me to to do a farmer's markets with her she was doing um cupcakes and she said oh you should sell some cards and things while you're while I'm doing that I'd started doing book folding I don't know why I don't know how I'm not sure how it happened but I was folding books And she said, you should bring some of your book folding. You know, just be there. We can chat and it can be fun. And I said, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds awesome. And she said, oh, you'll have to think of a brand name for your stuff. I was like, oh, hmm, okay, I I, I guess so. And that's when I came up with the name Rare Pear. I'm a a teacher. I like things that rhyme. (laughs) And I'm pear-shaped, so. And I'm a bit rare, a bit special. I, the funny thing is, I initially <laughs> wanted to call it. I wanted to call it Juicy Pear, and my husband said, "If you do that, people will be thinking all different things about you.
0: Yes, <laughs> you it might get a different rating when you Google you know, it.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, all sorts of other people will be finding you online and get disappointed. So don't call it Juicy Pear, um, because I actually do have a very large bust. So there you go. I was like, no, I can't really do that. Um, so um, so I came up with rare pear. The irony is I found out later on that my mother has a huge aversion to pears, so maybe there's a slightly something Freudian in there as well. I'm not sure. So I came up with rare pear <laughs> and, um, and then that market was cancelled because uh, I, I couldn't go. I caught gastro really badly. And I was, instead of feeling glad that I wasn't able to do it, I was devastated. Wow. And that's when I went. That's when I that's went. That's what you meant okay. to be doing. Hmm. Something's something's happening here. Mm, something's happening. Mm. So I read um, an article about a lady called Jacqueline Fink, who has a, a she makes gigantic big rugs out of um, and blankets out of gigantic big knitting needles. She's done very well for herself. She she works with Vogue and she does all sorts of amazing things. She's really well established and really well known now. But at the time, she was just starting out, and she'd been interviewed in a magazine um, with her lovely house um, and the person in it asked her about her creative journey and said, so what made you, you decide to do this? And she told a story, a personal story about why she's decided to do it. And when I was reading it, I started to get very emotional and I thought, oh, wow, this is really powerful. And then hmm. the interviewer said to her, um, what's been the greatest thing in your journey what would you say to someone else who needs to be artistic or creative and she said you just have to start you just have to start and at that point it was like a bomb going off in my head I was like holy shit now we're talking about resonating like my chest my heart felt like I was going to explode it was like yeah stop dilly-dallying you've been given permission you kind of know what you've got to do just bloody do it and then mm. she also said the greatest gift has been showing my children that you can live a creative life and i read wow. that as well and went oh my god oh my god this woman is speaking to me um so i literally got up from the table went and sat in front of the computer and started a facebook page called repair studio or repair Pair. I had no idea what I was going to sell, no idea what I was going to do, no idea what it was going to about, be about. I thought, right, first thing will be, though, I'll do the next markets. So I don't know what I'll have in them, but that's what I'll do. But I thought if I make myself accountable, if I announce mm. it to the world, then that has to mm. make me take action. Mm. I can't sit on my ass anymore. I have to actually do it. So I did that. And then the next thing I did was I wrote an email to Jacqueline Fink saying, I've read your words and they made me take action. I just wanted to say thank you for your, for your bravery in talking about it. Um, and she messaged me back and said, good luck and you know lovely to connect with you. And she was the person who a little bit later on said to me, uh, messaged me and said, I've discovered this thing called Instagram. I think you'd really like it. I think you should get involved. You've got to put an app on your phone and to do it. And I was like, oh, this sounds like, oh sort of out of this world um too scary for me but i'll give it a go and that's how i found instagram as well um so she was actually quite instrumental in the very beginning of the journey if you google her now her company's called little dandelion she's like hugely successful um she probably doesn't even remember who i am but she was really instrumental as well in kicking that Mm. that whole journey off so it's that ripples in the pond thing and it's amazing yeah
0: how much when we share our stories when we be brave ourselves how that gives other people permission to be brave it's oh, totally. Totally not about us is it uh, but we're st- we're talking recent history there here i mean instagram is really probably what 12 years old if that but the impact is massive mm. like how many careers have been launched through an app like that. So your style, Shaney, has probably changed a lot. I mean, I, I love your artwork and I encourage everyone to, listening now, go and check her out, at least on Instagram or her website. And I'll put all the links in there. But there's something, I mean, you do so many different things. I'd like to get into some of that. But what I loved about your art is it was so feel good for me. Like it was happy. It was, it was, I mean, it's, it doesn't do it justice trying to describe your style, but there's this, it's very colorful. It's almost like got like that naive. There's that naive style. Yep. There's something that's very fun, very childlike about it, but very surprising. And it always, I love to see what you were posting, What's she working on next. Uh, is there anything you want to just say about your style?
1: Or do you feel uncomfortable with me describing oh, no, no, like No, 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 no. I'll be, if I'm, Look, if we're gonna be completely honest, you know, lay it all out there. I struggle with my style hugely. It's one of my big, big issues that I carry around in, in, in me in my head is like, what am I doing? You know, what is my style? What what defines me? Because I when you look at some Instagram feeds, they're beautifully resolved. And everything's in the same tones and everything's Mm. the same style. And it's all very, a beautiful story. We talk about it like a gallery, you know. Um, And I really admire those people who can stay with one thing. I really do admire them. But I find that if I do that, I get really bored um, doing Mm. the same thing over and over again. Um, It becomes a bit like a party, feels like a party trick. So... I kind it of, almost commercializes it,
0: doesn't it? Because our brains it, want to be able to put people into boxes. Yeah, and like when that.
1: We're, like, like it, the, mm. it, it becomes generic. Like, mm. like, I know people like to know what they're going to get. That's that's uh, um, a comfort thing. I get that, but I just find I was diagnosed during this time, that time of bullying. I was diagnosed with adult ADHD which I was in denial about for a long time. And I went, no, 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 I can't have that. I've got two degrees and, you know, I'm this and I'm that and stuff. And the psychiatrist said, look, I'm just going to leave it with you. Here's a link to adult ADHD. When you're feeling comfortable, go and have a look at it. So I did. It took me a couple of weeks. I eventually did find that link and I read it and went, oh, shit. (laughs) What did it say?
0: Because I know oh. there are a lot of people listening in my audience who also
1: would say they've been diagnosed adult ADHD. And I have to say, adult ADHD is very different from childhood ADHD. It's mm. mm. so like it presents, mm. it manifests in different ways. What are those symptoms like for you? How does it manifest for you? How does it show I off? talk too much when I'm nervous. I talk too much because I feel like I have to fill in the gaps. But then I'm also an extreme um, I'm extremely happy with my own company I prefer to be by myself um, that's why teaching is good for me it actually gets me out of the house it means I have to go and interact with I had to put a bra on and get out into the real world <laughs> <laughs> like, um, because I would I would be otherwise that person who stays at home and just reads and potters and does art and has decaying flowers and books everywhere so because I find, even though I'm very friendly, I find it's almost like it's like an, it's an act. It's, a, it's, it's acting. It's I am being this person. And it's exhausting. I find it absolutely exhausting being out in the real world. Um, and that's why I, I don't teach full time because I, 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 I care too much about the kids as well. I, I start mm-hmm. to care too much and I um, may be too sensitive. Um, and I'd I prefer to be that teacher that turns up once or twice a week and who gets to be the fun teacher and do nice things um, and puts lots of energy and passion into it. But then I come home and I just, oh, my God, you know, Go I've got to. nothing left. Yeah, um, yeah. And I'd prefer to be a teacher that did that rather than be one of those people who just drags themselves yeah. through every day for years on end and doesn't have anything new to mm. offer. So the ADHD manifests a bit in that way. But obviously, I get bored with things and I move from things to things. So my brain is always worrying. Mm. Do you think it's important
0: to know that you have HDA? I mean, what difference has it made knowing it in your life rather than just being Um, having a label?
1: I felt much better once I knew. So initially, I was reticent about it and like, oh, no, I've already got a couple of letters after my name. I don't want some more. (laughs) 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 Just copy the alphabet. but then I found comfort in it because I was able to say, oh, it's just that my brain's wired differently. It's not mm. because because I had this mantra in my head, oh, you're hopeless. You're so mm. hopeless. Of course you've done that. You're hopeless. Oh, my God, you know, you're hopeless. Like, oh, of course you're late. You're hopeless. Or, of course, you haven't got this done. You're hopeless. You've changed um, that narrative now. No, so it was just changing the narrative around that. Mm. And it was creating a, a space to have a new dialogue with mm. myself Mm. it gave me the, the, the space to do that it gave me the opportunity to do that so instead of thinking like that i was able to say this is just my brain not coping at the moment because of of, mm. of stress or whatever mm.
0: a, per- a permission a permission,
1: a permission think. yeah and of mm. reframing reframing mm. how i saw myself functioning in society and in the world and realizing that it that's okay it's okay is boring.
0: <laughs> Do you think there's a, a big link between creativity and an ADHD adult brain?
1: For me, definitely. And I don't say I suffer with. I don't. I really don't reflect on it that much, and I actually don't talk about it very much. I don't advertise it. I don't. I don't tell. I don't talk about it on my feeds or anything. I don't not talk about it. As in, like, I'm not embarrassed about it or anything. But it doesn't define who I am. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, it's just another part of the crazy package that is is me but I've realized that I know for myself if I don't keep my brain um, so art helps still my brain sometimes like even the which we haven't even talked about yet the bread tag thing but sorting bread tags stills my brain painting stills my brain drawing stills my brain gardening stills my brain you know like it just it's like I talked about it I think before with someone else about how you know, builders have their spirit level um, mm-hmm. and, and the art and, or creating makes that spirit level get wow. back into, into focus again. That's a great way of describing it. And if I don't create, if I don't make, then it's like that. Sometimes it'll be that there's emails and applications and there's things that I should be doing and I should be doing this and I could be doing this and I just have to take a big, deep breath and go. No, I just need to paint. I just mm. need to paint. To get that all oh, right. you need to get the spirit level straight. Yep, yep. And my mm. husband's—we've been with me and my um, long enough. Well, I'll say to him, "You know, I'm just painting this weekend. I just need time to paint, or I just need time to garden." And he'll be like, "Yep, cool, no worries," because you know, happy wife, happy life. So, um, um, I've realised that that's essential for my mental health, but also for the art business and for the art like as a so as a product I need to have that time too because you can't sit down and paint a masterpiece like just oh I've got to sit down and paint a picture now you know it's like exercise you have to warm up you have to have been using those muscles you have to be using that that side of you to to have it functioning well Mm. you can't just I can't just go Oh, I've got a commission to do this. I'll sit down and paint that today. You know, I've got to be consistently exercising those muscles. Otherwise they get stiff and they mm. don't work anymore. So mm. from the mental part side, as well as the productivity and the business side, I have to have to have that time, that downtime, which I've, I've realized isn't, I used to think was selfish and I'd feel bad about it, but now I know that essential it's Mm. essential i just have to Mm. have it and i think i think everybody who has any mental health issues or just no i won't even say that anyone who's alive (laughs) has in times where they just need to refocus on something small and something that they can lose themselves in and not you know what they, what they call it mindfulness now don't they isn't there that's a special name for it, mindfulness and stuff um and maybe maybe having had all those things happen to me i'm more aware of it and i have more of a vocabulary to use around it but i think don't we instinctively all know i hope that we all need that kind of balance time mm. i don't know maybe it's more important if you have adhd but i think it's important for everybody Really. I agree. Makes you a nicer person.
0: I agree. Okay, Shani. As I said, your style is so varied. Bread tag projects. Can we go there for a second? And can I just explain? Actually, I'll leave it to you. Can you explain to the world what a bread tag is? Because we apparently are one of only the only countries that has them. Tell us quickly about your bread
1: tag okay. project. Okay, so bread tags are those little plastic things that close up the bread. That you get, Um, they can also be used on fruit and vegetables. Um, So you'll find them on fruit and veggies with uh, like a label on saying what the fruit and veggies are and stuff. Um, They're like
0: a little square, aren't they? Like I know in the the UK, we just had wire,
1: not the little tag, Um, and 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 plastic like sticky tape. Now you do have. Mm. There are people have said to me, "Oh, we don't have them in the UK." Having been very lucky to have done a big trip around Europe for eight weeks. Um, pre-COVID there are bread tags in the UK they're just a lot harder to find um, I found them because I was looking but, but yes bread tags aren't as common in the UK and there are some parts of Europe that they aren't common in they're very common in America and they're very common in Australia quite common in New Zealand so yeah there are parts of the world where they they're, they're more common than others so they're, they're very iconic shape um, Uh, like wobbly edges some have straight edges some most have little wobbly edges and they have the little internal closure part that clicks around um your bread to keep your bread fresh and then they get thrown away thrown in the garbage so that's a that's a bread tag as I said some countries call them bread clips some countries call them bread ties um there's a a a guy in the states that I think is amazing he calls them occlopanids um which means (laughs) bag closures so <laughs> the, uh, the country the companies that make them they call them bag closures they don't call them bread tags okay and what um, do you do with them <laughs> it started with me collecting my teenage son's bread tags because he ate so much bread and then I had a little collection of them in a bowl and I liked the colors as you know from my artwork I like color mm. and I noticed the pretty colors and I thought oh I'll make something with this so this was in the early days of Instagram when You know, you put things up without really thinking about it. It wasn't as edited and stuff as it is now. So you could just, you know, whack a picture on and not really worry about it too much. So I turned these red tags into simple little pictures and put them on Instagram. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Um, But I wouldn't mind doing some more of that. So I started researching what colours you could find because I I was like, oh, I've got a few colours here. I wonder what else I could get. And then through doing my research, I went down the rabbit hole and discovered why they are the colours they are, what the colours mean, but also about that they are a really bad type of plastic and that they're not easily recycled and that they are really bad for the environment and they're a single-use plastic, which means that, you know, there's a lot of resources Mm. and a lot of time gets spent creating them. They're used once very briefly and then they're thrown away, they're discarded. Um, and they're not easily recycled. And all those things were going, oh, alarm bells, alarm bells. Um, around, so a little bit later on than that, War on Waste came on TV and it started to talk about single-use plastics and the general population started to become more aware of it. Um, and I was, all, I was already aware of it and talking about it with people, but people were like, oh, you're just weird. Because I started to think maybe I could make these single use plastic bread tags, create more pictures with them and um, start to draw people's attention to the fact that these are really bad things. So a novel, whimsical way of drawing Mm. attention to the problem. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Because my parents, apart from taking us, travelling and stuff, were big environmentalists. So the environment and caring about the environment has always been just part of my life. That's always there in the background. So I started to think, I need to make people aware of this. This is actually really bad. But I've learned. I learned. My sister's a filmmaker, and she worked for the Wilderness Society for a long time. And we used to have lots of discussions about if you get on your soapbox too much and proclaim things, it turns people off rather than turns them on to a problem. It just makes them just too much. So you've got to be the, the best way to educate people and change people's minds is to do it very slyly and in a in a way that they they will want to listen and find it not they don't want to be told that they're in the wrong, you know, that they're being bad. Um, that makes people feel terrible. You've got to empower them mm-hmm. rather than yeah, so true. Um, make them feel like they're, they're, they're doing the wrong thing. So, you know, over many nights of thinking, I was thinking I could use these to create awareness and, try to maybe come up with other things that we can use these for or solutions with them or something. So it started to evolve in my mind and that became the bread tag project. And that's, that became an idea to, as I say, um, make people aware of environmental issues to do with single use plastics, but using the bread tag as, Mm -hmm. as the logo is the focus of it. Because I started to think as well, if my little family can collect this many bread tags there must be so many bread tags in the world Mm -hmm. and they're all just being thrown into landfill. And because plastic Mm -hmm. doesn't break down, it just becomes microplastics and there's estrogen and stuff in them. So it poisons the the ground and, you know, animals swallow them. And they're just bad news. They're just really bad news. The bread tag project happened and I realised I needed a plan for it. So being a teacher, I sat down and wrote a list of objectives and outcomes of what I wanted to achieve with it and it's kind of just grown from there. So within the bread tag project, I have lessons that I've created for school kids using bread tags as a as a component or as the kicking off point where you look at data and and geography and all sorts of lessons. So I did that, I've done or done that and ACARA which is the Australian curriculum and research association picked up on that. So they've put some lesson plans on their site to do with bread tags. That was a couple of years ago, which was awesome. So there's that, that part about educating children because that's just such an important part of, of the environment, getting kids on board. And then there's the whole art, art part myself. So I make artworks using bread tags as my medium. So I've got probably about six or seven different artwork projects with that are discrete from each other at the moment ongoing using bread tags so there's a a big um sculpture installation that's on display at the moment that i've I've just won a a thing with that which has been fantastic i've got the doomsday collection which is aiming to be the world's most comprehensive collection of bread tags um, (laughs) before they become hopefully extinct which means i'm hoping that they'll stop making them and that's a pseudo-scientific art installation thing which is kind of my favorite pet things in the whole project actually i love that part of the project there's 2d artworks which involve um playing with bread tags to make pictures on paper um that are like big mazes and things but there's lots of different ways that i use them as just another medium um to create But bringing awareness to something that's
0: a very serious issue Mm.
1: Yeah. so with all these artworks there's a concept behind them whether it be um Global warming. So I'm at the moment I'm working with melting bread tags, and what I uh, what I'm doing with melting bread tags, and that's kind of some of the concept behind that is the idea of you know global warming, of things getting hotter. I'm also doing an artwork with them about um, drowning in in bread tags, and I'm working mm. with second hand um, things to convey that idea. So I'm I'm playing with the ideas that come up with them. To see where they'll go and and just like not every artwork that you ever paint sees the light of day some of these may not see might may, mm. may never be exhibited but it's the process it's the process of working through ideas and working through playing with concepts um and and how they manifest in an artwork to get that idea across so it's work it's not just creating so the thing with the illustration and the artworks that a lot that i'll have done on instagram in the past they're just things that look pretty, that just look nice. And I do them for the simple pleasure of the aesthetics. And that's fine. You know, that's that's a lovely thing. And lots of people have told me that my art has brought them lots of joy. And that's wonderful. And I'm not denigrating that. But this type of art is more about having a concept and sending a message. And it's mm. not just about aesthetics. It's about something mm. else. Mm. It fills a deeper need that I have supposed to educate and to tell a story so it's more high concept art the irony is that in the art world i am very small minnow there are people who have been doing this for years and years and years so that's been part of this the new struggle for me or the new journey is um it's going back into that art world again of galleries and um exhibiting in in public spaces because I'm not doing it to make money. I will never make money from the bread tag project. That's not the idea of it at all. I can't put it into a space and expect to make money from it. It's about putting it into a public forum. And, of course, those spaces are very in demand. I have to build up a portfolio. I have to build up a credentials, I suppose you'd call it, Mm -hmm. about that. So that's been, as I say, a whole learning journey and very scary, but also, you know, thrilling as well. And then within that as well, the project itself has become a thing. So I take photographs of every, so I ask for people to to save their bread tags um, and send them to me and that way they don't get thrown into landfill. So I'll use them to create with and create um, awareness of and educate people with and then eventually at the end, end of the project, I'm donating the majority of the bread tags to a charity who on sells the bread tags to a guy who recycles them Um, in his he's got a special setup where he's able to recycle that type of plastic and he makes bowls and things with them and makes his living from doing that so it means that charity gets money it means that they are recycled and they get used into uh, usable products so there's a nice circular economy rather Mm. than just become landfill they have value they have they have a purpose which is again it's a huge amount of resources used to make break clips so it's good that those resources are being valued rather than just disposed of and thrown away so um yeah the bread tag project ask people to save their bread tags send them to me and then i will do my thing with them um and i would get a package at least every day the marmon loves me (laughs) (laughs) and i get all sorts of interesting things sent to me as well i get lovely artworks i get Cards and messages and people sew things inspired by bread tags or looking like bread tags. I can't Um, look at a bread tag without thinking of you. (laughs) I say lots of people tell tell me that, which is quite bizarre. (laughs) But the project the project itself has become a thing. So I started to realize that so many people were asking me the story of why bread tags and why this, why that, and I was like, okay, I probably need to tell this story. So. Because I, I used a blog a long time ago and I do love writing, I've started writing a book about bread tags as well. The history of bread tags, where they came from, what they're made from, um, how you can reuse them, you know, the pur- uh, you can repurpose them for several things. I think the most famous is to put them on a thong to fix a thong. People use them for that. Um, uh, Which is a I've flip flop,
0: a flip flop for the flip rest flop. of the world.
1: Yeah. <laughs> all of- yeah a thong yeah i realize a thong in the uk means a g-string which is yes. so i don't i wouldn't recommend using bread tags as a g-string that could be really uncomfortable <laughs> 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 so flip-flop it's a, it's a shoe okay a jandal if you're in new zealand yeah okay so the the whole thing has kind of morphed into this now writing a book and, and i've got i've got people who've sent me artworks and I have schools that send me artworks that their kids have so it's made. Becoming
0: it's becoming its own personality. It's got its own identity it it's just it taking has off. It really
1: its own thing. It's really crazy. Mm. Like I would, lo- I have to honour those things. So I'm putting together, um, I'm hoping putting together a book and I'm working with a book mentor to try to pitch that to, to, to publishers to have a, a book done about the Bread Tag and Bread Tag Project. And even though it sounds a little bit strange and I generally um, uh, I generally don't have high self-esteem. Like I, I do that uh, imposter syndrome thing that we all do, you know, oh, I'm not good enough, I'm this enough or whatever. Um, but I have a very strong feeling that a Britae book will do really well and that comes from all the feedback that I get from other people who message me and talk about it all the time. So I'm, I'm pursuing that path as well. You know, before you were saying about my artwork is is happy and stuff, the irony is, of course, that when I started doing all that stuff, Marilyn, I had a lot of depression at the time, Um, like Mm -hmm. I was coming out of that bullying thing. So it's quite the irony is Mm -hmm. that, you know, everybody would say, you know, oh, it's so happy and so whimsical and so uplifting, and yet I was dealing with lots of demons myself at the time. Yeah. But it actually led me to the point where I was happy again. So yeah, um, yeah. it served another purpose. Mm, but mm. I do go back to painting like that sometimes. I just feel the need to sit and paint some little mushrooms or some
0: or the houses. Happy I love stuff. your houses. Yep, the houses.
1: there must
0: you know. I can hear people listening to this going. I just. I know I'm a creative, I know I'm an artist, it's what I want to do, what would you say to someone who's at that pivotal point and they don't want to meet the bullying and they don't want to have those aha moments, they want to get started now, what would you say the best advice is of even not that I have young people probably listening to this podcast, but what would you even say someone who's, I know the, the COVID has woken a lot up a lot of people to, hey, I'm not on the path that I really want. And COVID's given me that permission to question it. What, what advice would you give them?
1: All right. Well, um, I'll steal straight from Jackie Fink from, from Little Dandelion. I will say you just have to start. You just have to start. It doesn't matter if it looks like crap. It doesn't, you know, because that's the thing. You don't have to show everyone. So there's there's a big difference between what you see online and the reality. So, you know, don't forget when you're looking at things on Instagram and Facebook and stuff, people are only showing you what they want you to see. There's a million disasters behind all the good stuff that you see, and that's okay. So you can do things like... All right, here are some of my simple tips. I used to, one of the things I do is have done is host workshops, um, creative workshops. And some of those things were about just this, getting started. So I would say things like go to your local Eckersley's or a craft shop or whatever and buy a little visual journal, a little one that will fit in your handbag or that you can easily carry around. And instead of turning on your phone, open up your sketchbook, a pencil mm. and a sketchbook. You have a pencil and sketchbook. You can do anything. You can go anywhere with them. So if you're waiting in the car for a COVID test, if you're waiting at the doctor's for a COVID test, if you're <laughs> waiting to pick up a child from somewhere or something, if you've got a few minutes while dinner's cooking, the pasta's not going to be ready for another 10 minutes and you're, you turn, instead of turning on your phone, draw something. Draw the cup of tea that you're having. Draw the view outside. Draw your cat draw some naked men i don't know whatever takes your fancy do something draw it just have a go and if it looks like crap who cares it doesn't matter it doesn't matter so have a little sketchbook on hand and instead of turning on your phone draw in a sketchbook but you just have to start you can't just talk about it you've actually got to just get in there and give it a go i think the visual sketchbook journey things are a really good way to go because um it's a little art gallery that you can carry with you wherever you like, wherever you go. And it's nice and simple and easy to do, but yeah, just start and give it a go. And don't, if somebody says to you and your family, Oh, that looks like crap. Just ignore them. (laughs) Just say, you know, just, just do it for yourself. Don't do it for, don't think this has to be, you know, has to look good, you know, for, for any audience. The only audience is you. And, I mean, you might do something like there's loads of challenges online. I'm sure you've seen them where 100-day challenges, 100 days might be too much, but 30-day challenges where you go, right, I'm going to take five minutes out of my day and I'm going to draw something for five minutes. I'm not going to judge myself on what I've done. I'm just going to do it. And it's amazing how you get so much better even only after a week or so of drawing something because a lot of it is about observation and noticing things not listening to those negative voices in your head that might say you're no good at this because any artist will tell you even the most amazing creatives they do a thing I'm sure you do it too where you have an idea you go this is great and you start you get into it and you think wow this is going so well and then you go oh shit this isn't looking anywhere near as good as I wanted it to (laughs) oh god oh, my God, this is a disaster. What am I doing? Why why did I even think this would work? And then you think, oh, my God, I'm so crap. Nothing I do is working. Oh, my God. And that's at that point you have to walk away and you have to have a cup of tea, have something to eat, watch some Netflix, eat some cheese, I don't know, um, (laughs) go for a run. I've been told people do that kind of stuff. And then come back to it and go, actually maybe it's not as bad as I thought it was Uh, great advice (laughs) yes maybe maybe I could tweak this and you know the the roller coaster comes
0: round, around around again and then it it goes then you go and eat more cheese and then you start And always better with cheese
1: (laughs) always better with cheese um (laughs) I love um, it I
0: love it is there anything else you'd like to leave the listeners before we wrap up
1: I'm feeling very sad for those people who are in lockdown I think that must be really hard. We're very lucky here in the country that we haven't had to deal with that to the same extent. And I, so I, I, can't, I can't speak for what it's like, but I love the way you said, see if you can turn lemons into lemonade. And if COVID has brought up an opportunity for you to think about things and do things that you might not otherwise normally do because life is short, life is precious. You know, um, don't put it off until tomorrow because you just don't know what's around the corner and and reframe it into thinking, okay, I'm going to take up knitting. I'm going to start dancing in my underwear. I'm going to make a podcast.
0: (laughs) I'm going to do those
1: things that I've put off doing because I haven't had time. And even if you give it a nudge and you fail, then giving it a go is still better than Mm, not doing it all. I'll leave you with my favourite quote, which is I'm looking at it from my board. There came a time when the risk to remain tight in the bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. Wow. I look at that and I go, yep, that's what you have to do. You have to you hold things in because you're so scared or scared of, of value but after a while if you hold that fear too tight it starts to eat away at you mm. so you better off just take the risk and just give it a go because it can't be worse than the feeling that you have of not giving it a go mm. Is that do with me far enough
0: that's fantastic <laughs> Shane, you know that i'm seriously thinking of maybe changing the name of the podcast from lead your day but it's such a great little phrase what does lead your day mean to you Leave
1: my day means have a list of things to do that day. I'm 50 now, Marilyn. If I don't write down what I have to do, I walk into rooms forgetting why I'm there. Oh, I love it, I love it, I love it. I try, I try to wake up in the morning and when I'm lying in bed, contemplating getting out of bed and thinking of that first cup of coffee, I run through the list in my head of the things I need to achieve that day. And that leads me into getting out of bed and propelling myself forwards and into the world. Um, and I have on my list, I'll have things I must do, things I should do, things I could do. And I call it swallowing the frog. So I swallow the frog and do what I have to do first. And then that leaves me time to do what either I could do or I should do. But I have to write things down. <laughs> it's if I. I think part of it is that thing of I love being able to tick a thing off, or you know, put a big black pen through it. It's so good when you get to do that. Yeah. yeah. No, there are days when it doesn't feel like I've achieved very much, but I have to. I've got a thing that says ten things to remember, and it says, "What is it? Uh, in, every day you waste is a day you never get back. Engage in consistent action." take a step forward towards your goal every single day. So that's what I try to do is even if it's just one little thing, I'm a bit like a draft horse. I don't go fast anywhere. I just slowly plod towards where I have to go. And it seems to be working. So just keep moving forward. Thank you so
0: much for being on the show.
1: That's okay. (laughs) Oh